So we're looking at the the second part of this two-part message of the power of the resurrection. There is no doubt that when Mary and Mary Magdalene and some of the women went to prepare Jesus' body after his death, they went to his grave and they found that he was not there. And they took that news, we talked about last week how they took it to to Peter and to John, and now that news is kind of trickling out among Jesus' followers. And as we see this, folks, the resurrection is the very lifeblood of our Christian faith. It is the very essence of why we worship Christ, because of all of the other religions and false religions and, and, and idol worship that is out there today. Jesus Christ has two things that separates him, and you as a Christian have two things that separate you from everybody else. Number one, your God sacrificed for you. It was not you sacrificing something to appease him. That there was nothing you could do, but because of God's grace and God's love, we know John 3.16 says he sent his son so that we can have eternal life. That's one thing. And the second thing is, when you go to the grave of all these people that have supposedly lived, you go back to Jesus' grave, He is not there. He beat death. He beat hell. And He is a resurrected King. And He is the King of glory. And so that is what we celebrate today. Jesus has risen from the dead. It seemed too good to be true for those that were following him in his day. And as we find today, the power of the resurrection has the power to change lives. I stand here before you as someone who is not perfect. Yes, I have the title of pastor. Yes, I've been involved in church work for many years. But in the end of the day, I promise you, when I get up in the morning, I put my pants on just like you do. And I have struggles And I have things that I deal with just like you do. But I know that my life before I met Christ and before I allowed him to come into my life is so much worse than after I let him have control of my life. It doesn't mean that I have everything figured out. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that there are parts of my life that are not jacked up. We we all have those parts in our lives because we are sinners. But it is because of this resurrection, that those sins can be forgiven. Let's look at the first point from our text this morning. As we look at John 20, verses 19 through 23, we can see the power of the resurrection brings peace to your chaotic world. Brings peace to your chaotic world. And I'll go ahead and tell you, becoming Christian, when it says that he brings peace, it does not, peace does not mean the absence of conflict. For so many times we see on the news and we hear politicians talking about we want world peace, we want everybody to get along and and have a Coke and a smile and everybody love one another. But folks, as long as we live in a fallen world of sin and have sinners that are in this world, there is always going to be somebody that's trying to get one up over somebody else. And so what does it mean for us to have peace? It means in the middle of this chaotic world, in the middle of everything you have going on between jobs, family, and drama, and priorities, and financial responsibilities, and all these things, that while all this stuff is is building on you, you can have peace. It says in verse 19, it says, 
that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Now, remember, Jesus has just been killed and they are not quite sure about this whole resurrection story. So so they are somewhere at an undisclosed location behind locked doors. Why do we lock doors? Usually we lock doors because we want to keep something out. Or in, in sometimes we lock doors because we want to keep things in. But either way, they were locked behind closed doors. And I love this word. If you've heard me preach before and it comes up, I just I have a fit over this word. I love this word. It's the word that starts with an S. It's called suddenly. Suddenly, Jesus was standing among them. And he says, peace be with you. Now, now there, there has to be, you, you can't tell me the Bible doesn't have a sense of humor. Because here they are, they are locked in, they are scared to death, and all of a sudden the Jesus that they saw crucified now appears before them. He got through the locked door and he says, peace be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be at that point kind of shaking in my boots to see what we would say a ghost of Jesus coming into the room that has been locked, but yet he comes right through and appears. He says, The first thing he says to them, peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy. Notice that. They were filled with joy. They were not scared. They didn't try to call a medium and try to figure out what was going on. They saw that Jesus was there and they were filled with joy. They were like, yes, it's Jesus. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What do we see in this passage of the fact that the power of the resurrection brings peace to our chaotic world. We can see in the lives of the disciples that their world, they had their, I mean, they had their, their perfect life until this guy named Jesus called them. He called one from being a tax collector. He called a few of them from being commercial fishermen. He called them out of their lives and everything that they were doing to come follow him. And so they don't know why, but they just dropped everything that they were doing to follow him. And then now all of a sudden they have gone through this journey, this three year, three and a half year journey with him. And then all of a sudden now they went from having a stable income, a good life, a good family and everything perfect to having three and a half years of living the life of of just being an on-the-road rock star, so to speak, going from town to town and being the, the talk of the town and watching this man do amazing things and to the point of running for their lives because the man that they followed was killed for what he stood for. What drove the disciples to hide behind those locked doors? Well, they were frightened. Quite literally, they were scared and running for their lives. They were unsure if their future was secure because the man that they had following had just been killed. And, and what if everything the critics said about Jesus were true? 
What if, they're probably thinking, what if we surrendered our life and our security and our future to a fanatic that was wrong? Have they been duped? Were they taken advantage of? Jesus will answer us. He will answer that question in the suddenlies of our life. Again, that word, suddenly. What is the significance of the word suddenly? I'm just going to tell you, for me, suddenly, the disciples and Jesus' followers were just waiting for the axe to fall. They were waiting for either them to be caught, tried, and killed, or that they were going to be running for their lives, for the rest of their lives. And they were just waiting for the axe to fall. Folks, waiting can be agony, can it not? God answers us in our prayers in one of three ways. Yes, no, and wait. And if he's ever answered your request with wait, you know that that stinks. Nobody likes to wait. But the thing is, is that while we wait, there is a purpose. A few purposes, most of which it's not time yet. God's timing is perfect, but just put your... Put your mind in the life of the disciples. They were waiting for the axe to fall. Folks, much of life is waiting for something to happen, isn't it? Some of you are waiting right now. Maybe you're waiting for a job. Maybe you're waiting for a financial thing. Maybe you're waiting for a doctor's test results. Maybe you're waiting for a family member. You're waiting. We're all waiting for something. Much of life is waiting. Minutes turn into hours, hours turn into days, and days turn into months, and months turn into years, and so on and so on. Waiting too often becomes more about our clocks and calendars seeming to stand still. Where is the moment when it turns and what you have been waiting for the suddenly arrives? Well, there suddenly just arrived. They're suddenly, because we are waiting to live. And then, when we get older, we're waiting to die. We are waiting for that phone call, that email, or response that seems to never come. Jesus comes to us in the midst of our waiting, suddenly. My friend, if you are waiting on something and it is not there, it just means your suddenly has not come yet. Keep waiting. Keep having faith because you suddenly might be around the corner. Again, we see in the Bible the word suddenly. It says suddenly Jesus was standing among them. Folks, I want you to remember this. Do not count out Jesus in the midst of your waiting. Do not count out Jesus in the midst of your waiting, your worry and fear. Because his suddenly is never far away. And it's always right on time. I am here before you today because of a suddenly in my life to where I was lost. And I can remember looking in the mirror as a teenager and saying, God, if you're real, show me. And it wasn't like I heard angels all that moment and and heaven opened up. It took a while, but finally God led me to a church, led me to a youth group retreat. And before you know it, I became a Christian. But I fully believe it began with that prayer. God, if you're real, show me. I was waiting. I had no purpose in my life. Everything, like y'all remember being a teenager, everything was drama. Everything was critical. But still... 
You can't tell a teenager, oh, it's just going to get better when you get older. They don't want to hear that. They don't believe you. But at the same time, we all have those times of waiting and wanting. And then suddenly, Jesus shows up. So do not count out Jesus if you are in the midst of waiting. Because my friend, you're suddenly might be around the corner. And it shows in this passage that Jesus showed his wounds to the disciple. So we can tell even, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, heaven on Wednesday night. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's blowing our mind. I mean, it's some really good stuff that we're learning that, that unfortunately is not preached a lot in churches and you don't hear a lot, but it's making perfect sense. And the thing is, is that as we read this passage, we can catch a glimpse of heaven because we will have resurrected bodies just like Jesus. And so what we see in this passage is that our resurrected bodies, it doesn't matter who locks the door. Our, our bodies are not subject to all the physics of this world. Now, on the other side, it doesn't mean that we're all going to have scars because the truth is, the reason Jesus still has his scars is because those scars mark what he did for you and me. Those scars are the scars of a unblemished, spotless lamb that was sacrificed for your sins and mine. His body carries the blemishes of our sin, so our bodies don't have to. Because when we stand before the Lord and the Lord looks at us, He's not going to look at those who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. He's not going to look at our mess. He's going to look at Jesus' scars. Because Jesus will be within us if we accept Him as our Savior. And so we see the peace that Jesus brings here is the peace of redemption. We can be at peace because we are in fellowship with God. It says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. I'll put it on the screen for you so you can read along. It says, Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. The reason that we can be at rest as a believer is that we can know that we are right with God. If you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you have not asked Him to come into your life as Savior and Lord, and you are running from Him, I, I, hope, I hope you stop running soon, because while we are in that fallen state, and we reject God, we are enemies of God. And we will have a chaotic life. I, it breaks my heart to see people that are running from Jesus because I want to tell them, as, as, as hard as you're running from Jesus, I want you to know this is as good as it gets for you. That it's going to get much worse. But for those of us that are believers, we know that although we are not perfect, we can be at peace with God and our souls can be at rest. We can have peace with God because we are no longer His enemies we are his children. And I love how it says that when they saw Jesus, they are filled with joy. Folks, our first response at seeing a resurrected Jesus should be joy. It should be joy. Too often, we cannot conceive that today because we are so caught up in our world and what we don't have and what we want 
and all of these other things. But folks, let me just tell you something. When you're on the lamb and you're in fear of your life like the disciples were, what did they see when they saw a resurrected Jesus? They thought, yes, it's true. He's who he said he is. We did not lose our lives for a fake or for a fanatic or a liar or a lunatic. He is Lord. He is risen for us. So everything that we've done, it matters. And everything that he said was going to happen has happened. And that means that when we die, we are going to have eternal life. Woohoo! That's something to get excited about. That's better than a last minute touchdown and double overtime. The joy of knowing that Jesus is who He says He is. That if you believe in Jesus Christ, He will come back for you. That you will spend eternity in heaven. That's something to be joyful about. He is who He says He is. He can go through doors and He can break through your heart. Because He is God. I'm sorry, I got a little excited about that. I love in verse 22, it says that then he breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. That term breathed on him is used one other time in scriptures. And it's used in Genesis where it says that God breathed life into Adam. That ruah, that spirit. And so what this is significant of is that We have not had the day of Pentecost yet that we read about in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where the Holy Spirit descends upon the Jews. And then later on in Peter, in his ministry, we see that it comes down on the Gentiles. So so still, Jesus is still in the process of ascending full time to his Father. So there's this transition period. And so he breathes on these disciples and he gives them the Holy Spirit. To carry them over until his work is complete. Folks, we do not have the power to rid ourselves from the penalty of sin or to remove the penalty for others. He talks in there about how they can make sure that people are forgiven. But what we do have right now is we do have the opportunities to spread the message of the one that has the power to forgive sins. To forgive sins. We do have the opportunity to spread the message to the one who has the power to forgive sins. Now, when Jesus was telling them that they had the power to forgive sins, He wasn't saying that they personally could have that power. They are vessels for the power. Only Jesus can forgive our sins. Only we, we can only be forgiven through the blood of Jesus. But then we see that in the second passage, the power of the resurrection has the power to resolve your doubts. The resurrection has the power to resolve your doubts. It says, Jesus appears to Thomas. We've all heard about the You know, you've said, that person is a doubting Thomas. Well, this is where that comes from. Everybody has doubts about something. No offense, Thomas. just so happens that your name, hey, when they read about James, I'm, I'm, it's me too. 
We're not talking about that Thomas. We're talking about the biblical Thomas, all right? But it says, one of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. So we see that Jesus came to where the disciples were, and Thomas was not there. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. And I put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Then it says, eight days later. Dun, dun, dun. Eight days later. That's like when you're watching a TV show or a movie and they're jumping around in the timeline. Sometimes I can't follow that stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm not smart enough to figure that timeline. But I do know this, is that Jesus appeared. They had a conversation with Thomas because he was not there. And then now eight days later. The disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Again, there's the word, suddenly. I bet they're saying, oh, Jesus, you've got to stop doing that. You're scaring us to death. But suddenly, he was among them. And what does he say to them? The very same thing. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. And don't be faithless any longer, but believe. Believe, Thomas. Look, there is nothing that... Thomas did not have a conversation with Jesus and say, Look, these are my hang-ups. Jesus already knew Thomas's hang-ups. So there are many of you, and many of you have friends that have doubts about Jesus. i got news for you. He already knows it. But yet, he went be, behind locked doors, and he went, he, even some days later, he comes. His, his final work before he ascends is not done. And so one of his things is to help Thomas out with his doubts. Then it says in verse 28, Thomas says, My Lord and my God, Thomas explained, then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me, and blessed are those who believe me without seeing me. In other words, he said, Thomas, I came here to show you this. And, and by the way, there's nothing in Scripture that says that Thomas took him up on the offer. It doesn't say that Thomas put his hands in his side. It doesn't say that Thomas inspected his scars. All it took was Jesus to say, look, here I am. Here's the proof. And then Thomas believed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who do not see me, but believe anyway. Thomas's doubts separated him from the other disciples. As we see in this passage, first of all, Thomas was not with them at the first occasion. So there was some rift between Thomas and the disciples. Maybe it was because the true disciples there, they believed, but they were in fear of their life. Maybe Thomas said, you know, I'm out of here. I'm done with this. I don't believe. There's people like that today. They know the truth. They've been around the truth, but they have nothing to do with it because of their doubts. All we know is that Thomas was not with them. And uh, the Bible text makes an issue about him having doubts about Jesus. But Jesus made a special appearance to Thomas to dispel his doubts. Folks, let me tell you something. Jesus will make every effort, every effort 
needed to address your doubts about him. Jesus offers his scars as proof. And Jesus' scars, they scream to your doubt and says, you do not need to doubt because I have proven it. The proof is in the scars. There is no proof needed. You have doubts about who I am, that's fine. You can doubt, but here's the thing. Our doubts, if you have honest doubts about God, God will Jesus will come to you and he will address those doubts. But there are some people that doubt the Bible and doubt Jesus because they live an immoral lifestyle. And to accept the teaching that Jesus says means that they have to accept that they are in sin and wrong. For example, this preacher was talking to someone one time and said, Well, I like the, Old, the New Testament, but I do not believe the Old Testament. And one of the reasons he did not believe the Old Testament was because it says in Exodus 20, thou shalt not commit adultery, and that man was living in adultery. That kind of doubt is not going to be addressed. That's only going to be the stubbornness of somebody to repent of their sins. And God will be patient with that up to a point. But if there is somebody that has legitimate doubts about who Jesus is, he will come to them and he will will address them. Do not fear God, because God will always meet someone who has honest doubts about Him. And the thing I love about this is that Thomas's doubts led him to the faith to believe. When it says, go back in your text and look at verse 28, it says, My Lord and my God. Listen, Thomas was a Jewish man. If you, if you remember everything that we talked about in John up until now, The Jews were the ones that had a problem with Jesus. So for a Jewish man to say, my Lord and my God, he is saying, I don't care what everybody else is saying about you. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are my Savior and I will follow you. My Lord and my God, I believe. His doubts were conquered. His doubts were conquered because Jesus came to him to relieve those doubts. He was saying, I believe, when even so many of his people did not. Folks, Jesus met Thomas's doubts with truth, and Thomas believed. Jesus met Thomas's doubts with truth, and Thomas believed. The biggest thing that people need that doubt Jesus and doubt his word is to be given the truth. The truth of who he is. And then our third thing that we see in our text today is in verses 30 through 31. The power of the resurrection can lead you to believe. The power of the resurrection has the power that can lead you to believe. I'm sure many of you in here, you're at church because you believe in Jesus. But there may be somebody in here that they came in here this morning with questions and doubts. I want to tell you, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it can lead you to believe. It says here in verse 30, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have the life 
by the power of his name. You might ask yourself, why did why didn't John wouldn't you want to know everything that Jesus did? We know very little about his teenage years, very little about his childhood years, but we do know that once he hit 30 and he started his his earthly ministry, we know a lot about him, but still even all of those things are not succinct. You ever heard of the term the synoptic gospels? S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, I believe is how you say it. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the fact is, they're written by four different people that say pretty much the same thing, just from different perspectives. And isn't it amazing to know that God, through His inspiration, led them what to write and what not to write. But when you take those four Gospels and you lay them one on top of another, it's kind of like if you've ever had like a... A brain scan, I think MRI is what they call it, I'm not sure, but I know they they stick you in a tube, right? And they have all these magnets going on, and and this is a crude uh, definition, but this is my understanding of it. It takes a scan, layer by layer by layer, just a little bitty layer, and so by the time it's finished, as you're going through that scan, by the time they mesh all those layers together, you have a full scan of your brain. With mine, that wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? But still, it's amazing how that happens. So if you were to take the scan of Matthew, the scan of Mark, the scan of Luke, and the scan of John, you get a full 3D picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to know that the things that God told them to write about matched up perfectly with one another. They're just different enough to get the... the uh, the flavor of the author and what he was writing. But yet, it still speaks to truth. It's amazing. So that's why everything is not recorded. There's a bigger plan here. The reason that these things are written, it says here, John says it plainly, the reason the things are included in the Bible that you need to hear is because it is written so that you may believe. That's why it's in there. John writes these things in the Bible because they were the ones that God directed him to write. John wrote the gospel so all that read it may believe. It says that in verse 31. So the power of the resurrection calls you to believe today. The message of the resurrection confirms that Jesus was the Messiah, that he is who he says he was, and that he will relieve your doubts and he will bring peace to your chaotic world, and if you don't believe it, his scars will prove it. The power of the resurrection, again, brings peace to our chaotic life and dispels our doubts and leads us to believe in him. And as he told the disciples when he breathed on them, he said, basically, you are to take this message out to others. Folks, the reason our world is in a shape it's in is because the Christians of this world have got the cure, but they refuse to share it. If the government came out today and you had a news flash of they said they've had the cure for cancer 10 years ago, but they never unveiled it because they would have lost too much money in research and federal grants. Y'all would be outraged. I lost my family member because... Of cancer, and you've had the cure all the time. Folks, there are people losing their family members to death and to hell every day, and we have the answer, but we're keeping it 
to ourselves. Not because we're trying to gain from it, just because we're scared to say it. Folks, if we don't keep speaking out, there will be more school shootings. There will be more tragedy on the news. There will be more terrible happenings in our backyards. We have the answer. We need to believe it for ourselves and believe it enough to share it with others. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your resurrection. The fact that even your closest friends and disciples who followed you still had doubts, but you didn't hold it against them, but you came to them to address them. And Lord, if there's someone in here in this room today that has doubts about you and they finally see the truth is that your goal for coming to this earth and dying and resurrecting is so they would believe in you and they need peace in their chaotic life, Lord. I pray, the Lord, they would come to know you today. The Lord, maybe today is there suddenly. And the dear Heavenly Father, you would, you would bring those home to you that are wayward. Maybe there's someone who needs to rededicate their life to you. Maybe accept you as their Savior and Lord for the first time. Maybe they need to come to the altar and pray, or they want to pray with me, or they just want to talk with someone they're sitting beside, Lord, whatever it may be. Lord, I pray that your invitation for someone to, to accept their suddenly today and to become a Christian, that they would take the step of faith and they would walk out and Lord, I know that they, the altar call is something that, that we do because it provides an opportunity for people to take a stand and for others to rally around them. But Lord, there's just some people because of fear, they just can't get it in front of people. That's okay. I will not leave today until everybody knows for sure that they are Christians. But Lord, this opportunity, this altar call is a chance for them to take a step towards you, a step for you, and allow others to gather around them. So, Lord, if someone wants to respond today, may they do that. I'll just leave it in your hands, Lord, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? Come forward and respond if you feel led.